calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The Astrea Trilogy Written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Two, The Men of the Sea. Chapter 14, in which a late afternoon walk leads to a night of danger. Estrella left the inn by the kitchen door, which opened onto a narrow lane where sheds of weathered grey wood stood only a few steps away from the age-blackened walls of the inn. He stopped with his back to the door, took a deep breath, and sniffed the smell of sea overlaid by drying fish and a whiff of privy. When he turned to walk towards the sea, a small, dark-haired woman with a heart-shaped face appeared at the head of the lane where it met the road, a basket in her hand. She edged to the side and glanced cautiously up at Estrella. "'Young sir, would Lindy be in her kitchen?' she asked. Estrella nodded and waved toward the door he had just left. Since she seemed nervous of him, he kept going. As he reached the road at the end of the lane, he heard Lindy's voice behind him. "'Ellen, how nice of you to visit!' Estrella walked on in a confusion of emotion. A moment of joy at the excitement he heard in Lindy's voice turned almost instantly to jealousy that he was not the cause of her pleasure. His heels scuffed dust on the road as he walked past the inn, and then thudded hollowly on the wood of the wharf. He stopped where he had seen the sign waving in the wind and rain when he and Lindy had first reached Charton. The sign hung steady in a breeze, scarcely strong enough to make the halyards tap against the masts of the boats tied alongside the wharf. Out to sea, beyond the headlands, streaks of high cloud softened the distance. On the wharf the sun warmed Estrella's face, something he could not remember feeling since he'd left land. The tide was ebbing and the boats floated with their hulls well below the wharf, allowing him to look down on decks, deck-houses, and cockpits. As someone whose entire life had been close to boats in the sea, Estrella evaluated what he saw with a critical eye. The boat closest to him reminded him of the molly, round in the bow to make room for a fish-hold ahead of the mast. The coachwork of the low cabin had been carved and painted above the companionway, but wind and weather had faded the ornamentation into a memory of better days. Estrella noticed that though everything seemed to be tidy and in working order, the sail bundled along the boom was showing signs of wear, and the cordage was frayed. He strolled on to examine the second boat, which was as slatternly as the first was neat. The gunwales that nudged the wharf were battered. Inside the open hull slimy bottom boards floated on bilge that slopped from mast to transom. The halyards drooped and swayed over the gaff, which had been left across the boom so that the sail draggled over the side, soaked by small waves. 
On the short foredeck ahead of the slack-stayed mast was an untidy pile of lobster traps. "'Shame, that,' said a voice behind him. Estrella turned quickly. A very tall man stood close enough to put a hand on his shoulder. He was wearing sea-going clothes, much like those of the fisherman Estrella had glimpsed through the kitchen door of the inn, but there was something familiar about him that did not recall the men of either the village or Charton. Estrella looked up at a face under a broad-brimmed hat, and he instantly wanted to draw what he saw. Many years of outdoor living had deepened the shadows on each side of a strong nose, and etched fine lines that fanned out from the corners of his eyes, which were jet-black. It was a face that held secrets and stories that his owner would never tell. It was composed, governed, and above all, aware. Astrea felt himself being appraised in the same way as he had been judging the boats alongside the wharf. He stood his ground, and looked back steadily, as he had learned from enduring Oron's commanding glare. The clasp on his arm tingled. "'Your boat's not here.' The man's statement was true, in the sense that neither Cygnus nor the Molly was nearby. Astrea thought ruefully that he was no longer part of either, but he had no intention of explaining himself. He countered with a question. "'Where's yours?' The man tilted his head, indicating the next boat at the wharf, a few paces from where they were standing. Astrea followed his glance, more concerned with the man than his boat, until he began to appreciate what he saw. He was looking at the bow of a long, thin hull, topped by a mast taller than any of the Charton fishing-boats. The hull was painted dark green, the decks scrubbed to milky white, a low cabin's coachwork was picked out with thin yellow lines. The sails were neatly bundled between boom and yard, the sheets were coiled, halyards hung from their belaying pins as if carved, and rope-work fenders kept the hull from grinding against the wharf. Estrella took it all in with a heightened feeling of recognition. This was no local fisherman's boat named after a sweetheart, wife, or daughter, even though it had been refurbished and painted to superficially resemble one. Under the disguise of a low cabin, he recognized a longboat from one of the great ships of the men of the sea. When he tipped his head to read the name on the transom, he saw a word that resonated in his memory, seafoam. "'Very nice,' said Estrella. He almost added, "'I bet she's Spindrift's daughter.' The man nodded. The gap of years between the two of them disappeared as they stood looking in the companionable silence of sailors who know good work when they see it. Then, with another motion of his head, the man encouraged Estrella to go closer to his boat. As they came level with the bows, Estrella deliberately took even strides and counted under his breath. Six or seven of your paces from bow to stern post. Beam? More in three short steps, and you'd be swimming. Nice lines. Pine on red oak frame, white oak decking. Estrella frowned at the lie. The deck was indeed white, but it had none of the characteristic seams of planking. Again, he bit back the desire to reveal his knowledge until he knew more about the man standing beside him. "'You build her?' he asked curtly, refraining from the question that came first to his mind. "'Cook the wold yourself?' "'Picked her up north of here?' "'Up the north coast Teenma's way? Or beyond?' Estrella hoped for a revealing answer, but received only a grunt. "'Uh-huh.' Estrella paused, wondering where their verbal fencing was taking them. The man's face was impassive, as he continued to probe for more information under the guise of casual conversation. "'You're from around Teenmouth?' "'No. 
Where I come from is more than a week north of here, given favourable winds. That's not where you've been lately. I was... I was in training for a while. Uh-huh. The man's wordless reply neither agreed nor disagreed, but he clearly knew that there was more to say than Astraea was willing to offer. They looked in silence at the boat at their feet. There was something about the steady gaze that made Astraea want the conversation to continue and deepen, but experience made him cautious about someone who was likely a man of the sea. He decided to go on asking questions. Where are you from? We've been living so far back in the woods we had to come out to hunt. Astraea heard a dry humour in his voice like that of skippers talking among each other in the village. Both of them stood a little easier, but Astraea was still uncomfortable. What was the connection between sea-foam and spindrift, and why was this man alive when so many of his crewmates were dead? He nodded his head in the way that men in the village did when a conversation was over, and turned to go. There's often bad weather to the north. High winds, big seas, spindrift blowing in your face. Astrea took a quick breath as his clasp tingled again so strongly that he could feel the hair on the back of his hand prickle. He almost froze in mid-stride, but forced himself to continue walking. Soft footfalls followed him in long strides. You can't deny you felt that. Just like at the castle, before the fat man almost had you whipped. This was neither chance nor guesswork. Astrea stopped and stared at the man, as he would when comparing a sketch with its subject. In his memory he saw a long braid of black hair from under a broad-brimmed hat, and he made the connection. I saw two of you. You passed me in the street, looked at me, and went on together. You were wearing leather jackets, long knives at your belt, and— your clasp spoke. I may have felt something. And then you went into the castle with your uncle. I didn't know who he was at the time. We weren't sure either. And now you are sure? The brim of the hat went up and down as the man nodded. We are sure, Estrella, son of Estrella. You knew my father? I knew about him. I met him. I was on another ship. Spindrift. The black eyes blinked, and Astraea knew he was right. My name is Arneb, Astraea, and now we both know enough that we must either trust each other or kill each other, and I don't want your blood on my hands, so it's best we talk. Somewhere else. Sitting down. Private. With beer. Why? Because of who you are, who your father was, what's on your arm, as well as what and who you're hiding in the inn to which four of you so mysteriously returned, and because of what's going to happen very soon. Astraea swallowed. Arneb's certainty was breathtaking. Your friend? Out of sight aboard our boat. Astraea found himself walking beside Arneb towards the inn, wondering when and why he had agreed, but feeling strangely calm nonetheless. They arrived at the inn before the beginning of the evening's eating and drinking time, and there were few customers in the taproom. Arneb chose the table in the darkest corner next the fire, the one once occupied by Adramin and his men. 
He sat with his back to the wall, placing his hat carefully in front of him. In moments Cam was beside them. Beer, mate, and food? We got chowder and fresh bread just made by the best cook an inn ever saw. You can... Strayer, what you doing out here? You gone sneaky nuts? And who in the name of something ghastly is this feller? Cam, this is Arnib. He knew my father. I met him. I knew someone who knew him. Someone I trusted. Well, that's right nice, isn't it? said Cam. Now, listen, Strayer, we got news from a friend of Lindy's that you should be here in the galley. Now. Steady. We've got time. They won't be here for a while yet. They still have to work up their courage. Cam stared at Arned like a small owl caught in the sunlight. What are you flaming well talking about? The townsfolk who are coming to throw you out of the inn, give you to the learneds, or maybe toss all of you into the harbour. How'd you know? I'm a good listener. Now, fetch us two mugs of beer and some of that chowder. Have some yourself, the other two of you as well. Might be a while before we eat again. And bring me four generous measures of Walt's strongest whiskey in a mug. Cam's mouth opened and then closed again as he turned and headed for the kitchen. How do you do that? asked Estrella. What? Get people to do what you want. It happens when you know you're right. You know that. Now give me a few moments with no questions. Arneb swept his fingers from his forehead to the back of his neck, as if checking that his hair was in place. Then he folded his hands on the table and looked at them thoughtfully. Estrella took a breath and let it out slowly, wondering why he felt so calm in the face of so many unknowns. Then he felt his clasp tingle, and his right hand moved, almost of its own accord, to cover the stone on his arm. Arneb's right finger wagged in a no-no-no gesture. Estrella rested both his forearms on the table. He felt a series of pinprick tingles to the skin under his clasp, each like a small, sharp pinch. At first he only tried not to react to what he was feeling. Then, as the sensations continued, he noticed that they came in clusters, each followed by a short gap, after which he felt a sharp stab that could only be a reply. He closed his eyes, trying to make himself more aware of the invisible communication that was happening beside him. Stray thoughts flashed across his mind. Could all of the men of the sea do this? And could they overhear, as he was doing, even though he did not understand the message? Why had Oron not told him? Was Lindy aware? He opened his eyes and glanced at the door to the kitchen, which Cam had just kicked open, his hands full of bowls and mugs. Over his shoulder Lindy was staring at the taproom. Her right hand was on her left arm, where she wore her clasp below her shirt. It would be easier if she didn't do that said Arneb softly, without looking up. Astrea looked into Lindy's eyes and deliberately held his hand over his clasp, shook his head slightly, and put his hands on the table, one on the other. She frowned, nodded, and let go her arm. The door closed. The sensations continued, but now the clusters were in different rhythm, and the replying pinches gentler. By the time Cam arrived at their table laden with food and drink, they had ceased. Arneb unfolded his arms and slid one hand up his cheek, so that his fingers briefly stroked the back of his neck before returning to cup his chin. Had anyone seen the gesture, 
they would have taken it for a mere moment of thoughtfulness. After his many sessions with stones in the forbidden room aboard Cygnus, Astraea knew that it was the end of a moment of extreme concentration. Cam put the bowls and mugs on the table and the whiskey in front of Arneb. Damon says, Tell him to fetch extra clothes for everyone. It'll be cold on the water at night. Astraea and I will be along soon. Cam frowned, but he nodded and went back to the kitchen. Arneb sniffed his bowl of chowder. Hmm, good. Lindy, the woman you saw in the doorway, made it, said Estrella. I know. Estrella was gripped by jealousy so strong that he could barely swallow his food. He looked into his fish stew in silence, resisting the desire to ask how Arneb knew Lindy's chowder. We met before she joined that little tub from the north. Estrella's jealousy receded into annoyance. The molly. And she's not a tub. Sorry. No disrespect intended. Someone disrespected your ship, beached, dismasted, and made into a wharf. I know. His statement forbade further questions. As the late afternoon gloom deepened, Cam came out of the kitchen with a lit straw in his hand to light the lamps and candles, beginning with the dark corner by the fire. Arneb raised one finger and shook his head. Cam frowned, dropped the straw as if by accident, muttered, and went back to the kitchen. Soon the only light came from the fire, and two of the tables where a few patrons had lit candles for themselves. The rustle of the flames beside them was the only sound. "'I don't suppose talking to the Charton people would do much good,' said Estrella. "'None at all. I thought maybe we could run the inn until—' "'Until Walt returned?' You know Walt? Arnib nodded. When, and if, he returns, he may get his inn back, but I doubt it. The black sheep is much too valuable. He has a chance because he's known, he's strong, and he's resourceful. You're not. Greedy folk would have taken it from you even before they knew that the three of you had burned down the castle's library. We didn't. I know, but they don't care. Neither does the mayor of Charton. The mayor? I didn't even know there was one. You don't have a lot of luck with mayors, do you? Estrella felt sudden irritation at Arneb's remark. He tried to think of a response, but curiosity overcame annoyance. What do you get out of this, Arneb? That's your best question so far. Arneb busied himself with wiping his bowl with a crust of bread. Then he produced a flask from a pocket and carefully poured its contents into the mug of whiskey. Estrella frowned as he recognized the smell. Was Arneb going to get drunk when the inn was about to be attacked? If it all works out, I get justice. I also protect the stones. Many footfalls boomed on the wharf. A voice shouted orders made indistinct by the heavy door. Explanations later. Go to the kitchen. Go now. Estrella reacted to Arneb's urgent order and was weaving around the tables before he had time to think. A shaft of light fell on the floor ahead of him as Damon opened the kitchen door, a knife in his right hand. "'It's me,' said Estrella. "'Let us in.' He glanced over his shoulder, expecting Arneb to be behind him. Instead, he heard the outside door crash open. Booted feet clattered on the stone step, and voices shouted confused orders. 
Across the taproom, Arned's tall figure was silhouetted against the fire, holding up his mug as if toasting the new arrivals. Then his hand swooped down, and he doubled over to weave through the tables toward the kitchen. "'Lights out!' Arned yelled. He pushed Estrella through the door and shoved Damon back into the kitchen. For an instant Estrella saw Lindy's face lit from below as she blew out the lantern. Arneb pushed the door shut and put his shoulder against it. Behind him the taproom fireplace exploded. Hot air and ashes and dust blew into the kitchen as the door sagged inwards. "'Get the shipstone,' said Arneb calmly. "'Benches against the door. Where's the secret way out?' "'I'll show you,' said Lindy. Estrella stood, wondering what to do next. Arneb had taken charge of the events, for good or ill, and Estrella felt that he was being carried along, out of control. The kitchen was now dark. He caught glimpses of Lindy, Damon, and Cam in the light of the kitchen fire. Damon and Cam jammed heavy benches against the door to the taproom. Lindy reached under the table-top to release the catch, and then shoved at the table. When the ladder-like stairs appeared, she reached behind her for a well-filled sack, which she tossed down the hole before climbing down after it, the light from her clasp briefly lighting the stone walls of the stair. "'Walt showed us,' said Lindy, her voice deepened by the cellar. "'It's not just a secret hiding-hole. It's a passage under the east end of the wharf. Watch your step.' Astrea rolled back his sleeve and his clasp replied to the eerie light below. "'My jacket with the stone,' he whispered down to Lindy. "'In the sack,' she replied. Damon sucked air through his teeth. "'Go ahead, Strayer,' and then he stepped back, as if the green light would burn him. Confused shouting came from the taproom, and then something crashed against the kitchen door. "'This ain't the time for the willies, Damon,' said Cam, as he disappeared down into the darkness. Damon started down the steps behind Cam. "'Hurry, Estrella. Uh, but, but, but not too close.' "'There's a ledge down here where Walt keeps a candle,' said Lindy. "'Have you found the rope, Cam?' "'Ooh! Yuck!' said Cam, as one of his hands found a damp patch, and a moment later, "'I got it, Lindy. Come on down, the rest of us, and make it quick. Get off my foot, Damon!' Estrella went down the steps into the dark so quickly that he tripped over the sack and ran into Lindy. They both clutched at each other to avoid falling. Her hair tickled his cheek, and her breath came quickly in his ear. Their faces were so close, Estrella saw two points of light reflected from their clasps in Lindy's eyes. Above them the table rumbled back into position, and the sounds from above faded. He felt Lindy's shoulder against his leg as she bent over to pick up the sack, and then a moment later its rough canvas rubbed across his cheek. Above them the kitchen boomed with the assault on the kitchen door. He guessed that a taproom bench was being used as a battering ram. "'Lead the way, Lindy,' said Arneb's voice in the darkness. Estrella peeled back his sleeve and saw Arneb's back, stooped almost double as he followed Lindy down the tunnel, the clasp on her arm glancing green light first at the stone walls, then on the dark posts that held up the deck of the wharf overhead. Estrella followed, watching glimpses of the sack that wagged back and forth over her shoulder, acutely conscious of the occasional gleam of green-lit blonde hair. He could hear Cam and Damon at his heels. They were all walking bent over, keeping their heads low to avoid the unseen roof above them. Estrella had no idea where he was going, although clearly everyone else did, 
When he saw Lindy stand fully upright beside the green-lit silhouette that was Arneb, he straightened his back and cracked his head against the last crossbeam of the tunnel. Are you all right? Lindy whispered, her voice hollowed by faint echoes. Yes, said Estrella. Lindy, about Arneb, you can trust him. Hmm, yes. I did. Hmm, I do. A rope slapped on the wharf above their heads, and then squeaked as it took the strain. Estrella heard stones clatter underfoot. In the light of his clasp, he saw Lindy bend to kilt up her skirts. The stone on her arm lit Arneb's hands as they positioned a ladder. Then the green stone on the back of Arneb's neck bobbed upward, lighting the underside of the hatch, which he pushed open. Someone unseen raised it and lowered it silently onto the wharf. First Cam, then Damon, and then Lindy stepped forward in the gloom, climbed the ladder, and disappeared out through the hatch into the twilight. Estrella followed to the foot of the ladder and hesitated. He turned around so that his clasp shone on the black trunks of wood that held up the deck of the wharf. Green light fell on the gaps amongst the ranks of the dark pillars and lit the way back to the dark hole of the tunnel through which they had come. Estrella continued to turn until he dimly glimpsed waves washing among the stones a few steps beyond where they stood. "'Come on up, Estrella! Arneb says, leave the ladder!' Cam's whisper faded into the soft hiss of waves. Estrella climbed upwards to the deck of the wharf, where he kicked the top of the ladder so that it disappeared into the darkness below. He lowered the trap-door as silently as possible and stood up. He had hardly got to his feet when he was nose to nose with a man's deeply shadowed face. A hand reached for the clasp on his arm. He leapt back, one hand reaching for his knife. "'Easy, both of you. Get aboard, and we'll talk about the stone when we're clear.' The man made a strange noise in his throat and backed away. The dim green light from Lindy's clasp briefly disappeared and reappeared lower, where it lit the softly rippling foresail of the boat he had last seen at the wharf. Cam and Damon were climbing aboard, and Lindy was standing on the deck, which was rising and falling a long step below the wharf. She had an elbow hooked around the mainmast stays, and her face was turned upwards, but he could not see her eyes. Ready to cast off. Astrea glanced around and saw that he was alone on the wharf. He crouched, pulled off his boots, and jumped lightly onto the foredeck. Jib's sheets slapped the deck at his feet and were immediately silenced. The four of you go below, out of sight. I'll be down soon as we have more sail. A block squeaked as the gaff rose up the mast. The boat steadied on its course and then heeled to port as the sails began to draw. Estrella paused, one hand on the port stay, the other holding his boots, wondering whether the mainsail on this boat was rigged into a tall triangle like those from Cygnus. But as he looked up, he saw that the longboat was rigged as a coastal fishing boat. "'Here you are,' said Lindy. She passed Estrella, ducked under the boom, and climbed down into the cockpit. Estrella's clasp gleamed on her hair and then on her face as he joined her. He wanted to say something, but he could find no words. She stooped, and when she straightened up again, she had her boots in one hand and was pulling her sack toward the companionway. A moment later she disappeared. Estrella glanced astern where Arneb stood on the tiny stern deck, one foot at the tiller, the main sheet in his hands. "'Where are you taking us?' "'Tell you shortly. Below.' Estrella went down the companionway, 
pushed past a curtain of dark material and found himself in a cabin so small that even crouching he promptly hit his head. A lantern hung above a small table set amidships, one end against the mast. Damon and Cam sat on one side, Lindy on the other. Estrella slid onto the bench beside her. Nice boat. I've never been in one so slim, said Cam. Estrella took a breath to talk about the longboats on Cygnus, until he became uncomfortably aware that his mind was sliding away from what was happening around him. I don't like running away from a fight. We could have taken them, for sure, if those had helped us, said Damon. They did, said Lindy. They saved our necks. We could have... We couldn't. We were silly to think we could just take over the inn as if nothing had happened. There were too many of them. Ellen told me that there were more than a dozen with weapons. And they had the law, or at least the mayor, on their side. If we'd survived the fight, we'd have ended up in jail. Cam looked at Lindy and grinned. Is she always as sure of herself? All the time, said Damon. I wish, Lindy began softly. The boat came to an even keel, heeled to starboard, steadied, and they began to hear the patter of small waves under the forefoot. What do you wish, Lindy? Arnib's voice made them all turn to see his long legs descend the companionway before folding himself cross-legged to sit on the bottom step. I wish I knew a bit more about where we're going and about who you are. Estrella wasn't sure if she had been about to say something else. Fair enough. First of all, welcome aboard Seafoam, which began life as a longboat on spindrift, said Estrella. True, said Arnab. What I want to know is why you didn't speak to me when Lindy and I were working for Gar. We weren't sure who he was and what you were up to. We didn't think he was a man of the sea, because as far as we knew, he didn't have a stone, and he no longer looked even remotely like the Jianfar we had met briefly as a young man. We had no way of telling what you, or he, would have said or done if you'd known we were from Spindrift. We were cautious. Too cautious. But we had reason to be suspicious of everyone. Mufrid and his men? Estrella asked. Looking to finish the job. Not everyone died then. Two didn't. One's talking to you, the other's at the tiller. He can't talk. Mufrid cut his tongue out. There was a collective intake of breaths as the four at the table took in what Arneb had said. That's some flaming ugly. How did you? Escape. I wasn't there. I was aboard Seafoam. I'd been fishing. On the way back a stay parted. I had to spend the night in the lee of an island, and most of the next day putting things right. When I got back, it was over. Elusive was gone. I found John tied to Spindrift's bow, near to dead. The boat came upright and steadied. Estrella glanced up and moved as if to stand, all his seamanship telling him that he should be on deck. Arnev's hand waved palm downwards as the boat heeled over in the other direction, and the drumming of the waves on her bow began again. Sit still. John's got her. It's easy. We're Luxel rigged like a fishboat. Self-tending jib, too. As I was saying, we've been together since then. Looking. Looking for what? 
looking to rid the world of Mufrid and his men. Good idea, said Damon. We can help, right, Estrella? Not your fight, lad. John and I must do this. We have the right. Revenge? Lindy asked. That, too. First, to rid the world of some truly wicked men. I had the chance, but I didn't have... You didn't have what you have now, Estrella, which is what we need. What's that? The stone in your shark-skin jacket. How do you know? Lindy began. About the shipstone I stole from Cygnus? Cygnus? The stone you have is Silver Swan's. I know it well. What happened to her? Knocked down and lost on her way to the city of the sea. Miasa with her? No, Miasa died later with Oron. Cam and I found them. They'd taken, torn off. Anyway, they weren't wearing their cloth. Oron's dead? It was more than weird. Two old ones on the deck under the round table, and, and their bracelet things all gone dark. Uh, me, I don't like stiffs. Then you were lucky you didn't have to bury your shipmates, family, wives, sons. Some burned, some dead in their beds. You were alone? John watched, all he could do. But that helped. It meant I wasn't alone. He paused, shook his head, and then spoke firmly again. So it's just Cygnus and Elusive out there now? Elusive stone is aboard Cygnus. Dabby stole it. So then you stole the dirty ducks? Estrella nodded. So Mufrid has nothing to navigate with. The last I saw of him he was heading south aboard Elusive. He didn't know Dabby had stolen his shipstone. He has his clasp, if the light he stole from me is still working for him. He might be able to follow along after Cygnus. Oh, he'll want to, all right. If he can, he'll be following Cygnus and little Dabby like a shark after bloody bait. Why did he do it? Dabby? He didn't like what Mufrid did to your ship and crew, to Spindrift. And don't forget he's in love with Becky, said Cam. Who's Becky? She's from Teenmouth. Mufrid kidnapped her when he was looking for me. And cause she's sweet on Dabby, that makes him strong. Arned looked at Cam. Estrella saw his eyebrows lift slightly. So exactly what do you want me to do? Estrella asked. Unship that stone from its egg and let it bring Mufrid to us. So you can kill him? Right. Sounds like a plan, said Damon. I'll go for the men in black. You can have Mufrid, but you'll have to be quick. He's the fastest I've ever seen. Estrella could have taken him, but... I distracted him. That gave Mufrid a chance to get his knife back, and then before Estrella could get ahead, Walt blindsided Mufrid with a fist to his head, and then— You fought Mufrid? To an advantage? He disarmed him. You should have seen it. I hesitated. I didn't. It was me. I broke your whatever it is that makes you so fast. He'd lost his knife. He didn't lose it, Estrella, said Damon. It wasn't like he'd left it somewhere by accident. You knocked it out of his hand. I didn't. I couldn't. It 
didn't seem fair, but, but now I know I should have at least tried to kill him. Arnib's right. He's evil. Fair doesn't count for beans in a knife fight. It's not a game, Astraea. No rules. Go for the kill or go home before the fight starts. It still doesn't seem right, said Astraea, and heard his own words as wishy-washy. Of course it doesn't, said Lindy. But you don't have to let yourself be killed. What's really not right is to let other people be killed for you, or ahead of you, or because you ran away and hid to save your own skin. Astraea looked down. Now he understood. In Lindy's eyes, he was a coward. So, Estrella, will you do it? Estrella felt rather than saw that everyone was looking at him. Lindy rummaged in her sack and passed him his jacket. Empty of everything but the need to do what seemed to be the next thing, Estrella pulled out the egg-shaped container from its pocket and released the catch. Green light lit his face. When did you decide to trust me? There didn't seem to be much choice. You're cautious. That's good. Now you'll need somewhere you can use the stone. Aneb bent his lanky body, pulled open a footlocker, and retrieved what looked like a fabric-wrapped bowl about the size of a man's cupped hands. He reached up and hung the object so that it dangled on three strings above the table. Made for the job. Alnair didn't like to leave the ship's stone behind when he was away from the mother ship. Estrella carefully spilled the stone out of the egg into the bowl. Then he pushed back his sleeve and waved his arm close to the stone as he had learned from Oron. The ship's stone flared green light so much brighter than the lantern that they all blinked. They're close. Very close. The last time the stones were this bright, we were at the City of the Sea. Damon shoved his back against the boat's side and hunched his shoulders as if expecting a blow. Cam's eyes glittered in the greenish light. Lindy's right hand travelled to hover over her clasp before she knew what she was doing. Arnold bent his head. His fingers trembled as he reached for the back of his neck. It's like when you open an oven door, except that it's not hot, it's just powerful. And Estrella doesn't even feel it, said Lindy. He's the strongest wielder I've ever met. Alner said Oron was like that when he was young, but I never believed it until now. Estrella stared from one to the other. What are you talking about? It's not me, it's the stones. There are two other shipstones quite close. They're in Cygnus' forbidden room, probably within sight if it was daytime. If I had a plotting table and echo stones, I'd be able to give you a bearing, but... Alner used his clasp. He'd circle it around the shipstone and then tell us a direction to look for, for the other ship or ships. Estrella frowned, nodded and unclipped his clasp, and holding it in his right hand described a circle around the hanging bowl. His fingers tingled, then stung. Remembering how he had surprised Oron on his first attempt to use the stones to find another ship, he moved his clasp to the other side of the bowl, and again his fingers almost let go of the silver band. There are two, close together, roughly a beam and a port. That'll be Cygnus, but there's something further away. Perhaps it's Mufid's clasp. I can't be sure with the shipstones so close. He moved his clasp slowly around the glowing green stone, concentrating on the weak signal. Then the ship stone flared, and four voices spoke at the same moment. Hot! exclaimed Astrea, feeling his arm as if touched by a hot coal. What's happening? Lindy demanded, her hand over her clasp. Stop it, Astrea! said Damon. Death! You just blasted someone! exclaimed Arneb. You mean I killed someone? You may have. You certainly gave us all a jolt. 
Mistreya circled the ship's stone again, this time remembering Oron telling him to coax. It, it's not there now, he said. I mean, I can't feel anything. So much for Mufrid's navigation, said Arnib. The other two seem to be as they were, said Estrella. Good thing, unless you wanted to blow up a shipstone or two. I always said they were dangerous, said Damon. Could he do that? Lindy asked. Arnib nodded. We'd better take a look. The moon was rising when I came below. We've been on our way to a little bay in the lee of the western head, where John and I have spent the night a few times. John's been tacking in the wind that blows through the harbour mouth, so maybe we can see a bit more of the offing. Damon shook his head. So that we can look out of the harbour mouth at the sea, Lindy translated. I've figured that out for myself, said Damon. Will you put that thing away? It's not safe just hanging there. One of us might— Provided you don't touch the stone— You'll be all right, said Arnab. Mark you, if you did. Damon shuddered. Estrella used the bottom part of the metal egg to scoop up the shipstone, and then carefully closed the top third down over it. His shoulders sagged with relief from the tension that working the stones demanded, but he was also shocked to discover that he had made use of more power than he had known existed. When he had lined up his clasp, the shipstone, and what must have been Mufrid's stone, he'd felt a surge of energy that was always around the stones, almost like a crackle of a fire. It had not been his imagination. All four of them had seen the shipstone flare, and both Arneb and Lindy had been shocked. He wondered why he had felt his clasp's energy as he had never done aboard Cygnus, and as he considered, he became aware that all his senses felt unusually keen. Even above the continuous wind and water sounds he could distinguish among voices. Arneb was telling something to John, and Damon was muttering about weird stones, and Cam was saying something to Lindy about the speed with which sea-foam was riding the short, choppy waves of the harbour in a skimming rush far faster than the molly. Estrella wondered briefly what they would say if he told them that the boat was sailing well below her full ability. Leaving the caged shipstone in the dangling bowl, he climbed into the cockpit and looked ahead. With his head level with the boom and the wind blowing over the cabin top into his face, he felt less hyper-aware. After a few calming breaths, he deliberately closed his mind to Lindy's presence only an arm's length away, by attending only to the familiar sea sounds of wind and water. Seafoam was on the port tack, catching a brisk breeze from the ocean. Just off the bow he could see the black outlines of the two cliffs that fell down to white foam at their feet. Between them the sea gleamed in the light of a rising gibbous moon. As his eyes adjusted to its pale light he saw that Cam was in the lookout position, his back against the mast, only his shoulder and one leg visible. To starboard, Damon's hands clung to the edge of the cabin roof, the rest of him obscured by the boom and sail. In the stern, Arneb was talking to John at the helm, but his words were inaudible above the sounds of wind and waves. Lindy stood on the windward side, an arm's length away from him, her fair hair fanning out behind her, her lips parted. Without his planning it, Estrella's right hand started to reach toward her. She turned towards him, her hair whipping across her face, her eyes deeply shadowed in the moonlight. Lindy, I— 
he began, feeling sure for the first time since seeing her in the Molly's cabin. Arnib's voice interrupted him before he knew what he was going to say, and his confidence evaporated. We'll take one more tack to windward, but there's not much of a chance that we'll see— Astrea continued to stare at Lindy. He was about to try to speak again when Cam shouted, Sail! Coming out round the port headland! Astrea looked, and he, too, saw the moonlit triangle of a jib as it appeared out of the blackness of the headland. Is it Cygnus? Lindy asked. Elusive, said Arnib, before Astrea could answer. Silhouetted against the moonlit sky, the distinctive stasel rig came into view around the headland, mast by mast. As they watched, the sails rippled and merged into one single dark shape. "'She's paying off downwind,' said Cam. "'She's going to thread the needle,' said Arneb. "'Trust Mufred to do it at night, when it's most risky.' A wordless, indistinct sound made Lindy glance astern. "'I know, John. We'll stay on this tack until we're shadowed by the land. That way we can see without being seen.' A few heartbeats later the moon was behind the cliffs. Sea-foam was in the dark, and almost as suddenly her sails were no longer filled by the wind that funneled between the headlands. "'Bring her into what wind's left to us, John. We can hang here in irons until we see what Elusive's up to.' They were barely in time. Elusive was now rushing downwind along the moon-path in which sea-foam had been sailing only moments before. "'Man aloft! Someone's up the mainmast!' Cam and Astrea spoke at the same moment, their voices loud, now they were in the calmer water. Mufrid's conning her through the passage from the foremast. Has to be. No way he'd trust anyone else to read the water. They could all see the outline of a figure high above the peak of the mainsail. As they watched, Astrea saw an outstretched arm pointing and heard shouted orders. As elusive altered course, they heard her sails flutter and flap. "'They're not handling her well,' said Arneb. As the ship bore down the moonlit path between the headlands, coming closer to where sea-foam hid in the shadow, Astrea saw too few men trying to control too much ship. The forward sails either shook or hung slack, and the moon gleamed on a sudden hummock in the white trail of Elusive's wake as the man at the wheel oversteered. The ship yawed, the tall mast swayed from side to side, and the end of the main boom rose, fell, and then rose higher than before. "'She's going to jibe, and that's got to be bad news for anyone who's aloft,' said Cam. As he spoke, the ship sailed out of the steady wind that had carried her between the headlands, and drove into the tangled air currents in the lee of the cliffs. The main boom swung skyward, as if reaching for the masthead, the sail folded in on itself, recovered momentarily as the helmsman tried desperately to correct the situation, and then swung across the deck as the wind caught its lee side. An instant later, when sound caught up with what he was seeing, Astrea heard a sound like a mighty whip crack, then a scream, followed by a series of lesser thuds and bangs. "'He's still up there,' said Lindy. Somehow Mufred had clung to the masthead, even when the staysail below him had thrashed, ripping under the strain. Now Astrea could be sure it was his uncle. The voice was unmistakable. It went almost falsetto as Mufrid rained curses on his crew, and then suddenly dropped to a powerful, controlled bellow 
as he gave orders. The men below him began stripping the ragged mainsail from the overstrained mast. One by one the remaining staysails filled, the ship began to respond to her helm and head back into the less troubled wind. Seafoam was close enough for them to see the ship's crew struggling to get control. "'They'll see us,' said Damon. "'Not a chance. They're in the moonlight, we're in the dark, and they're right some busy,' said Cam. Elusive plunged downwind toward Charton. A heartbeat later, Mufrid's voice came to them loud, clear, desperate, and too late. "'Port! Port! Hard over!' The big ship stopped dead in the water. Slowly at first the masts leaned forward, then the main brace parted, and all three masts snapped, one after the other, in a crashing rush that launched Mufrid ahead of the ship. He flailed through the air, his arms and legs a tangle of frantic action. A brief spray of white caught the moonlight where he disappeared into the sea. "'Let's go get him, John,' said Arneb. Cam. Lindy, Damon, point to the splash, said Estrella, suddenly more alert than he had been since the fight on board Cygnus. Everything but the present moment forgotten, he raised one arm to obey his own order. And keep pointing, no matter what! Arneb swung the tiller, John hauled the port jib-sheet, and Seafoam was sailing again, swiftly gathering speed as she heeled to the wind. Estrella ducked as the boom came over his head, and Lindy went down on one knee to be well out of the way. Her chin level with the cockpit combing, she continued to point with one arm. In the stern the two men expertly tended the tillers and sheets, heading where the arms pointed. Seafoam came back out into the moonlight and passed downwind of the reef that held Elusive's keel. Astrea saw the black shape of the ship in a tangle of sails and masts that flattened the sea around her. Then his eyes swept the water ahead, trying to see something more than a dance of choppy waves. "'There! There!' Cam's voice was certain but when Estrella followed his arm to the sea just off the starboard bow he could see nothing but waves. "'He's right,' said Lindy. A moment later Estrella saw a splash that was not the white cap of a wave. As he too pointed he saw another splash, and then another. Mufred was swimming upwind towards his ship. Estrella took a quick glance astern. Arneb eased the sheets, and sea-foam turned downwind. Four arms pointed closer and closer to the boat. Estrella and Lindy on the windward side saw Mufrid's face flash white in the moonlight as he gulped air at the top of a wave. John hauled the tiller to starboard, and the boat surged into the wind's eye and slowed as it came up behind the dark shape in the water. Arneb leaned over the port cockpit combing, grabbed downwards into the water, and held on. Estrella, Lindy, and Damon crouched below the boom to see what was happening, and Cam went down on one knee to look under the flapping jib. Mufred said Arneb, as he reached down to grab the wet black jacket. "'You didn't kill all of us!' Spray flew in the moonlight as Mufrid thrashed the water, trying to free himself of Arneb's grasp on his clothes. Then his black hair and jacket became one with the dark water. A strangled moan came from John. "'I've got you, Mufrid. You're not getting away!' Mufrid surfaced with a confusion of splashing, but though much of it went into Arneb's face, he did not let go. "'Knife!' Damon warned. Arneb still gripped Mufrid's jacket with one hand, but the other flew up across his face. Blood seeped between his fingers, black in the moonlight. Damon lurched across the cockpit to Arneb's side, and they both leaned over the edge. Mufrid's knife arm slashed blindly. 
Damon missed his first grab at the arm, but an instant later caught a handful of black hair. I have him, he shouted, and shoved Mufrid's head below the surface. Don't let go, muttered Arneb behind his bloody hand. Mufrid's knife-blade stabbed up out of the sea. Both Arneb and Damon pulled their heads back reflexively. Mufrid gave one convulsive twist and disappeared below the surface. We lost him, said Damon, as he pulled himself to a near-standing position. You're cut real bad, he added. With an incoherent cry, John abandoned the tiller, vaulted onto the small stern deck, and then, as Mufrid's head and arms broke surface off the port quarter, dived at him. Both men disappeared behind the splash of John's dive. Before the water could smooth over, Mufrid's face appeared in the moonlight, and beside it a knife-blade gleamed. Both disappeared as if yanked from below, leaving a splash of foam on the short, choppy harbour waves. Point, Lindy, point, Damon, yelled Astrea, as he pushed past Damon and Arneb and took the tiller. Cam, we're bearing off to starboard. Close hauled. Come astern and tend the jib. Astrea and Cam silenced the flapping sails and soon had them filled on the port tack. Stay low, everyone. I'm going to jibe her, said Astrea. Ready, Cam. Jibing. Now. The manoeuvre was hasty but effective. The boat swung away from the wind, the boom flipped through a short arc within Astrea's control, and the boat steadied onto a reach across the wind, heading back to leeward of where they had been. Astrea looked up for a star to keep seafoam on course. At Cam's gesture, Lindy and Damon moved to the starboard side, where they were immediately dazzled by the gleaming moon path that ran back through the headlands to the horizon in a glittering line of white below the rising moon. Close to the boat, the light caught wave-tops and cast black shadows in which they could see nothing. "'Anyone see anything?' Estrella asked, grateful he could rely on Cam's seamanship. "'Can't look. Blood in my eyes,' Arnett muttered. Lindy knelt on the hem of her skirt, tugged, tore, and handed him a wadded-up handful of material, which he held to his face. "'Come below, where I can do something about—' "'Must find John,' muttered Arnett behind the improvised bandage. "'I can't see him," said Cam. "'The moon's in me eyes.' "'We should be downwind of them now,' said Estrella. "'I'll hang on for a bit longer, then we'll come about and look again. Closer to the wind this time, Cam. Ready to go about. Now!' As the sails filled on the port tack, Estrella and Cam automatically moved to the windward side and sat on the cockpit combing. Estrella chose a fresh star and lined it above the masthead. "'Stay where you are, Lindy. Try to see under the boom.' Damon, come over to this side and help us balance the boat. Arneb stood amidships, his legs braced, his head bent and his hands covering his face. He began to shuffle to windward, staggered, and went to his knees. Anything, Lindy? We should be just about where they went down. Nothing. We'll try again. Ready to go about. Now. This time all four moved smoothly, but as they crossed from side to side to take their respective positions on the other tack, Astrea slipped and almost fell. As Seafoam made a third pass across the moon-path, only Arneb did not move. "'Arneb, you're coming below. You're bleeding all over the deck,' said Lindy. "'Do it,' said Astrea. "'We'll keep looking.' He glanced down from the star that had been keeping him on course, and saw Lindy's blonde hair gleam as she bent over Arneb, one arm around his shoulders. He could hear her voice directing and consoling, but could not make out the words. Doubled over almost to crawling, they made their way along the cockpit sole to the companionway and disappeared below. 
ready to go about again. Watch your step. Now! The three of them managed the tack smoothly, Estrella silently grateful that the sea phone was not rigged for racing. Bucket? Damon demanded. Be sick over the side, said Estrella. It's not that. A bucket to wash the blood away before you slip again. Under the stone deck. Thanks, Damon. Seawater sloshed around Estrella's ankles as he steadied the boat to return towards Elusive. Cam pointed up moon at a black shape near the dismasted ship. Rowboat, said Cam. Loaded. Two pulling on the oars, one in the bow, one in the stern, heading for shore. Rats leaving a sinking ship, said Damon. You're right about the rats, but she's not sinking, at least not yet. More like stranded. Keep looking, said Estrella. They tacked back and forth two more times. As he prepared to go about once again, Cam quietly broke through his concentration by stating what he had been unable to accept. They're gone, Estrella. It was clear from his voice that he did not mean the men in the rowboat. That John fellow didn't care about himself, said Damon. He just wanted Mufrid dead, and looks like he did it. Estrella looked around, thought he saw the splash of an arm striking the sea, and then decided it must have been a wave cresting. What's next? Damon asked. The sailing and searching had completely absorbed Estrella's attention, and he had no immediate answer. Give the jib sheet to Damon. Find out what's happening below. At first he spoke to avoid answering Damon's question, but as he waited while Cam went below, he momentarily lost all sense of what was going on around him and stood staring blankly, seeing nothing. The urgent need to take charge of the boat had summoned the calm in which he could think and move so much faster than those around him. Now his energy was gone. You're going to have to tell me what to do, said Damon. Estrella opened his mouth to explain, and closed it again. He had to change course soon, but he had no idea where to go next. Light gleamed up the companionway, granting him a moment in which to think. Cam's finding bandages. I can't do much more than staunch the bleeding until the boat's steady, Lindy called up from below. Where can we go? Damon asked. We can't go back to Charton, and we don't know where Arneb's anchoring spot is. Lindy's voice came up the companionway, her face and body invisible. Arneb's running on about how we should check to see who's aboard elusive. Bleeding all over the place, but will he take care of himself? No. He keeps saying, we can't leave them stuck. I told him that Cam had seen a boat row off toward the shore, and he says that would be the men in black. He thinks that Mufrid might have imprisoned the regular sailors below decks. Well, that would explain why they did such a ham-fisted job of sailing her, Cam called up from below. Arneb's right, said Estrella. Ready to go about. Tell him we'll go and look. For goodness sake, Estrella, said Lindy. You too? Estrella ignored her. Arneb had given him a purpose, and he was no longer frozen in uncertainty. We're going about. Let go the jib-sheet, Damon. That's right. Just let it go. Right. Now duck under the boom and find the jib-sheet on the other side. Good. Now haul it tight. Take a turn around the pin below the combing and hang on. We'll come up on the lee side of Elusive and we'll use her like a wharf. Then we'll be steady enough for Lindy to work on Arneb. You and Cam will go aboard and see whether he's right about people being left behind, and then I can help me stitch Arneb's face together. It's a plan, said Lindy. I'll send Cam back up. You'll need him to do the sailor stuff with you. Sailor stuff? echoed Damon. Stitch? Estrella muttered. 
Cam reappeared, and the three prepared to come alongside Elusive without getting fouled in the masts and rigging that trailed from her bow. Fortunately, the wind held, and the moon gave more light now that it had climbed higher in the sky. In a black and white world of silhouettes, they approached Elusive's starboard side, facing her stern. Right. Luff now, said Estrella. He let the mainsail flap, steered wide of the fallen spars, and headed into the shadow of the ship's hull, hoping he had guessed right. How are we supposed to? Damon began, and then answered his own question. Huh, there are ropes dangling down the side of the ship. Piece of luck, that. Luck, nothing, said Cam, as he went forward to grab a rope. Strayer knew they'd be there from when they'd launched the boat we saw, see? They sailed off, leaving everything hanging. There's the scrambling net they used. Now that they were close to the ship's stern, they saw that Elusive was heeled over to starboard. The net and the recovery rope hung straight down into the water more than a man's height below the slanted deck. We won't strike the sails until we're sure. Cam, belay that recovery line, and then go aboard and find out if anyone's still there. But if it all goes crooked, get back up on deck and start yelling. Don't stop for anyone until you're back aboard. Rope squeaked as Cam went up the scrambling net. Estrella went forward and looped the jib-sheets around the sail to prevent it from flapping, and then came back to the cockpit, lowered the mainsail, and bundled it loosely. He was now moving and thinking at something close to normal speed, somewhere between swift and stunned. Once he had made sure that the boat was safe in Cygnus Lee, he glanced up and saw Cam silhouetted against the night sky as he climbed over the ship's rail. "'What's happening?' Lindy said. He's still losing blood. We have to get to work. I can't do this alone. Estrella was about to explain when five measured thudding sounds came from the ship. What was that? Good idea. It's Cam, healing. It's a signal aboard the ships. Listen. The reply came faintly at first, so that they could not be sure how many thuds they had heard. One of the masts, banging against the ship's side, Damon asked. Cam spoke down to them from the deck. Damon? Find something that'll break through a door and bring your knife. Estrella opened a locker under the stern deck and held out a hatchet, handle first. Where would I find— Oh, thanks, Estrella. Don't make trouble, Damon. Don't fight. Run. Damon climbed up the scrambling net a good deal slower than Cam and disappeared into the darkness of the ship's deck, invisible from seafoam. Estrella took a deep breath and went down into the cabin numbed by the need to do the next thing that presented itself. Right, Lindy, said Estrella. What can I do to help you put Arneb's face back together? You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit estreatrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit estreatrilogy.com for more about Australia's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.